everyone. Welcome to yet another episode of 51 Stories of Emotional Wellbeing with Emotional Ability Resources. Today, I'm very happy to have with me Deb Love, a beautiful and very inspirational lady. Deb is a lifelong spiritual speaker, a seeker, adventure lover, conservation professional, and a single mother of two wonderful teenage teenagers. She lives in Montana, where she works to ensure people have access to clean air, water, and a connection to the natural world. So welcome to my show, Deb. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you. So tell me a little bit about your journey, Deb. Uh, yeah, I grew up um, the youngest of seven children in a Catholic home. Um, I had a lot going on all the time, but mm-hmm. I ended up just finding myself out in the natural world, seeking solace in nature. Mm-hmm. Um, and that stayed with me my whole life. Uh, I ended up, as you noted, w- starting a career in conservation. And that's been my life's purpose is really to connect people to nature. But, um, you know, I, I would say I was spiritual uh, growing up going to church I was religious I wasn't necessarily spiritual Um, but it's it has been something that has stayed with me through my whole life I I began meditating and going to yoga in um, in college Mm -hmm. but really as I got older my practice deepened um, and for me it was the inward journey that really helped me become embodied and just really uh, allow allowed me to ensure that everything I do is sort of in in sync with my true purpose. That's wonderful. So any stories of resilience that you can remember that have shaped you into the woman that you are today? (laughs) Sure. Resilience is a great word. I was just talking to my daughter about that who's in college and I just today was letting her know how important resilience is because we all fall down. And we all um, have cracks and it's, it's those cracks where the light is able to shine through. Mm-hmm. I will share, I, for a long time, I, uh, I was on a path. I was determined. I wanted to succeed. I, I worked in a bank at age 15. I was in the finance club. I got into the top business, one of the top business schools in the country. I took that passion even to conservation and was you know, driving And in my 30s, um, I took a year-long leadership development course, thinking, oh, this will be good for me, right? Not realizing that when you do that kind of leadership journey, you're you're starting from within. Mm -hmm. And it was that inward journey that I think that I mentioned earlier that really began for me in my early 40s. And that's when I took a kind of more critical look at who am I? How am I showing up at work? How am I showing up in my marriage and with my children? And I remember this moment in time where I, I took a, a 360 re- degree review, right? Where you get people who work with you and for you and around you to do an assessment of you. And I thought, well, this is great. I did my own personal review. And then they compare your you know, your perception of yourself versus others' perception of you. And I remembered seeing quite a difference between what I considered myself and what how others viewed me. 
And I had been working with my then husband for 15 years and we were kind of this power couple. And I realized reading this review that I was being um, reviewed as this power couple, as this team, not as who I really was. I was showing up as part of a, honestly, a codependent relationship. And so it was that moment where I began to really start to look unflinchingly at my strengths and my weaknesses and my, you know, light that I shine and the shadow. And I believe that's really when we all can come full face. Um, when we look in, in the mirror and we see it all and we, we stop trying to be what we think we need to be or someone we think we're supposed to be. And instead we accept who we are. And so it was, it was a long journey. It took me a while to figure out I was in a marriage with someone who wasn't on that kind of journey and um, who didn't share those same beliefs as I did. Um, so the year I turned 50 was really when resilience um, would be a word that I would use to describe myself because I, I found myself in a very powerful job. I was the head of a foundation. It was like a dream position. I was giving money away and people were dying to talk to me because I controlled all this power. And I worked for just a, a very extremely difficult person and my life was, was looking good on the outside and it was really crumbling inside. Mm -hmm. And in the span of one year, I, I left that job decided to take time for myself, took a journey to India, actually, um, uh, and trekked in the Himalayas and spent time with my children over the summer and went to another leadership retreat and really just gave time to myself to explore who I was, what I wanted to do. Um, and by the end of that year, I was divorced um, and I had left that job and thankfully found a wonderful new one um, and then began life as a single mother with my two wonderful kids. And um, I have been so happy. <laughs> um, I don't know what I look like on the outside in terms of like that facade that you're supposed to be. It doesn't matter to me anymore. I am exactly who I am and um, I feel really content with who I am. And so it's just been an incredible journey. But I, I remember that 50th birthday thinking, wow, you know, I've kind of at the time I had moved out of my house. I didn't have a house. I didn't have a job. I didn't have a car. I didn't, I didn't have any of the trappings and I was so happy. Um, so I think for, for anyone who's going through a rough time, know that that is, you know, a part of life and um, it's not a, it's not a failure to struggle. It is in fact a sign that, you know, you, it's a, it's an opportunity for you to really um, connect with yourself and make sure that what you need is in alignment with your your path and that you're not trying to live a life that you think you're supposed to lead or that you think someone else wants you to lead or you're potentially with someone who's not good 
for you? Like there are many, many reasons why, why we struggle, but I do believe that we live in a society that doesn't acknowledge mm-hmm. those struggles. And it's really encouraging to see people like you who are able to connect with so many people and share these stories so that we can see others that have gone through, you know, their challenges and emerged better for it. Thank you, Deb. And like you rightly said, you know, we are so busy trying to live the life of uh, what we perceive is how it's supposed to be, that we sometimes forget that the real cost is we and our own connection with ourselves, you know. We forget who we are and we forget how to be content and, you know, we are like, I'm supposed to be happy because it looks so good on paper. Yet inside, (laughs) uh, we are crumbling and uh, kudos to you to have the courage to really, you know, take a hard look uh, at yourself and uh, rise like a phoenix, you know. Well, I... I think it's really important to just acknowledge that um, it's not easy to look at your faults and and to accept that, you know, you have weakness. Uh, I think none of us really grow up Mm -hmm. with that kind of ability to to not only kind of take criticism Mm -hmm. or feedback, but to be able to give it to others as well. And for me, healthy conflict and and being able to speak your truth to someone in a way that's not hurtful, Mm -hmm. but that's real. And then to really be open to, to others being able to speak to you that way is something we can all work on. You know, it's a tool that we can work on that I think helps um, ensure that we are in fact true to ourselves because you know, I look at teenagers because I've got two mm-hmm. and they're on their journey. And, and uh, teenagers t- these, these days, I sound old, but it, it's really a difficult time um, with social media occupying so much of their world and the expectations that are associated with that um, and the imaging and trying to make yourself look a certain way online and and that disconnect with the natural world or the disconnect with, with friends and family is real. And then add on to that the, the terror of, you know, potential global war and, and environmental and climate collapse mm-hmm. um, and a pandemic. Like there are just a, so many potentially scary things out there. Um, that I think without that kind of inner resourcing, if we're externally focused, if we're looking somewhere else for validation or looking somewhere else for the answers, the answers are all within us. Everything we need really is inside ourselves. And it just takes a practice of slowing down and tuning in. And I'll share my, my own practice. I, I shared that I grew up in nature mm-hmm. and that remains a really, really important part of my um, ability to be fully resourced and connected is a chance to be out in the natural world. And I spent my whole life trying to ensure that it, people in the city have a city park or a mm-hmm. playground or a trail 
we all have an ability to get out and connect with the natural world. And one of the things I feel like the natural world provides is when you are outside in nature, mm -hmm. there's a sense of awe. There's a sense of the divine and a sense of something so much greater than ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I think that kind of um, awareness mm -hmm. of the just vastness of the universe and, and kind of the um, assurance that our place in it, it's not, it's not in our head, you know, it's, the voices in our head are what take us away from that connection we feel, whether it's in the natural world or whether it's on a yoga mat, you know, on a meditation cushion, what have you, but that deeper, deeper connection to, to the quiet truths. Um, I think that is really, I mean, for me, it's been the answer. <laughs> That was lovely. So what are some emotional ability resources that you use on a regular basis to enhance your emotional well-being? Nature, of course, you've spoken a lot about. Yeah. What else? My, I think it's important to have a routine that works for you. Mm -hmm. I, I have a morning meditation and yoga routine, and I know I'm supposed to do that right when I wake up. <laughs> But for me, I like to make a cup of coffee and I like to sit in bed with my journal and I have a wonderful book that is got daily quotations. Mm -hmm. um, and so each day I take a look at that day's um, uh, entry and then I, I journal for a while and I'm able to kind of tease out like, Maybe it's what happened the previous day, or maybe it's where I want to go, but it just gives me a chance to start my day in a quiet, contemplative way. And then I hit my meditation cushion. Um, I've really begun enjoying Kundalini yoga, which allows me to um, really focus a lot on my breath work, which I found to be really healing. Um, and again, just simple meditation. I have a number of Buddhist um, teachers that I really enjoy, Pema Chodron, and, and I've been listening a lot to Tara Brock on, um, on Spotify. These are teachers that have free teachings mm -hmm. that when I wake up at two in the morning and can't get back to sleep, I turn on a, a meditation or I go to a Calm app and I, I put on kind of either a meditation or a talk and, and those help bring me back inside. So for me, it's like what works for each individual, mm -hmm. but something that is consistent. And I think that's what I used to lack was that consistency. I would go to a yoga class in a studio a few times a week, mm -hmm. but I didn't have like a daily practice. And I think in my head, maybe there was some um, judgment that I should and then I let go of the should and I just invited in and I acknowledged, yeah, I like my cup of coffee and I like to sit in bed with my journal and that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. So you freed yourself from the tyranny of shoulds, right? Yes. No shoulds, just invite no to practice in. I, I like that. That's like wonderful. 
And who inspires you? Has there been any role model uh, that you have looked up to? Otherwise, who inspires you? Mm, that's a great question. Well, right now, my inspiration is coming from my kids um, and watching them kind of step into their self, themselves. Um, so I have a soon to be 18 year old and a soon to be 20 year old. Mm -hmm. And my 20 year old is now away in college. She's a sophomore. And um, it's been so remarkable to watch her journey as she's left the home and kind of finding herself. And there's a lot of um, identity seeking um, at this age. Uh, and I'm trying to encourage her to you don't have to label anything. You, you don't, you can be who you are, but she really wants, she's figuring it out and, um, and she's figuring out what she's passionate about. And so, yeah, I would say right now it's, it's, um, it's really being in this position where I'm about to be an empty nester mm -hmm. and, um, and supporting those, those kids um, as they leave the house. And I have, I've also, um, been lucky enough to find a partner who is deeply present um, and who shares my spiritual path with me. And I, when we met, we both realized that's the one non-negotiable in a partner that we both need to be on a personal growth journey of some kind. And for me, that's been a, a transformational experience because um, I had been with my former husband for 23 years, a long, long time. And, um, and it was lonely. So I would encourage your listeners to, to, to be mindful when you are meeting someone or, or with your partner, take that time you know, to be present with one another um, to, to encourage that journey inward and to support that journey together. I think um, I feel very fortunate to be in that place right now. It's wonderful. And uh, any stories that strike out in your mind when you felt that the going was too tough and you just wanted to give up, then you nurtured mm. yourself back to uh, a woman of being a woman of substance and you know mm. where uh, you could just go on I would love to hear from you yeah I'd be happy to share I um I did share that like at one moment in time where it just felt like everything was kind of um all the house of cards were falling but I also felt like I had that inner resource then so I knew like I was going to be okay but there have been times in my life where I was I was diagnosed with chronic fatigue mm -hmm. um, the year that I was getting married, and it was the year we were building our house. Mm -hmm. And I was a state director and building this house and planning this wedding. And I woke up one day and half my face was paralyzed. Mm -hmm. um, I had Bell's palsy, and it didn't go away and I wasn't getting any more energized and it turns out I was diagnosed with chronic fatigue which is a debilitating condition and I was seeking all sorts of treatment um, acupuncture and um, 
chiropractor and anything I could get my hands on. And what I didn't want to hear was the simple truth that uh, my body was telling me that I was doing too much. Um, and I was just trying to be someone that I thought I was supposed to be, you know, and pushing, 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 pushing. And it took me a long time to figure that out. Um, eventually I did, but I remember at the time, I just wanted to fix. I just wanted somebody to just be able to give me a pill and make it all better, you know, tell me what was going on. And, and because it's, you can't really diagnose chronic fatigue without um, ruling out other things. Um, it was a real struggle. Um, and I just, I guess the resources that I tapped into was um, finally listening to my body uh, and having the sort of strength to um, back off. Mm -hmm. um, and it was a hard lesson learned, but one that um, I've kept with me. I now I'm much more attuned to to that, I, I use the same resources then that I use now, which is, um, you know, being outside in nature and taking time for myself. But, you know, I'm also a passionate, um, I, I believe passionately in physical exertion and activity and exercise and, mm -hmm. and adventure. Um, and so having to slow down was really like, that was a challenge for me because I would find myself like, getting um wanting to go do these activities to bring me that joy or you know to be able to help my mental health so I think sometimes for people who are not able to do those physical things that they want to do it can be quite challenging mentally and emotionally and again it just kind of came back to you know that slowing slowing down but more for me it was more of a recognition of I remember my acupuncturist saying Deb, look at your face. Like literally you can't ignore this. Like <laughs> the universe chose to make your face paralyzed because you weren't paying attention to anything else. Um, so pay attention to your body, pay attention to what it's trying to tell you and pay attention when your emotions, when you're, when you're unhappy or, uh, you know, are, are struggling. Can you, can you slow down and, and really, tap into your heart. I would say the biggest lesson that I've ever learned in this regard, um, and this came slowly as well, was the lesson of self-compassion. Mm -hmm. And I now believe that it is the beginning and the end and everything in between. Like if we don't absolutely love ourselves, we cannot love others we cannot be happy mm -hmm. we will never be fulfilled and I think my journey was realizing that I had grown up in this huge family I was the youngest it was kind of like the run to the litter left behind go play outside um, but I was all that striving was because I was searching externally for love and not not recognizing that it was was right here so for me to um 
to really become that content embodied person that I am now, it took literally a practice. I remember I had a massage therapist who said, I know it sounds silly, but like I tell myself a hundred times a day, I love you. And I was like, really? And he was like, try it. <laughs> and so I would literally, I say to myself, I love you, Deb. I'm sitting in the dentist chair. They're drilling the other day. I love you, Deb. Like, it's just a little reminder and it sounds trite, but it's a reminder that it's all, again, it's all right here. And if you can have compassion for your struggles, for your challenges, for the things that life throws at you, and you're able to just completely, you know, love and support yourself, you will be a better partner, you will be a better mother, you will be a better friend, because you can, you can give love when you have it for yourself. And I feel like that is one of the things I see most in people who are struggling is they just, they have a hard time with that critical that critic mm-hmm. in their head. True. We are so, I, I ask my friends, would you ever speak to anyone the way you speak to yourself, that little voice in your head? And if you think about all those little comments that you're, that what critic says all day long, like if you can just see that that's, that is the ego talking, that is not your heart. Mm-hmm. That is not who you are. And you can find some distance between that critic and your true compassionate self. I think that's really where the the magic happens. So that is wonderful. I uh, have a question for you because, you know, people, we all know that, you know, saying I love you to our own selves is very effective. But most people, they stop it, you know or they expect uh, instant uh, results. And that obviously does not happen. So I want you to tell us a little bit more about your journey into loving yourself. How long did it take you to really believe the I love you's that you told yourself 100 times a day? Yeah, that's a great, I think I'm still on that journey, right? (laughs) Um, I I can't say that like that critic has stopped because it's always there. Mm So I think like anything, it kind of comes back to what, what works um, for you, for you. And, you know, this massage therapist had a note taped to his mirror at home, you know, and I, um, I sometimes just put my hand on my heart. Mm-hmm. And I, I mentioned earlier, listening to Tara Brock, it's B-R-A-C-H. Mm-hmm. And she has a course that is available on on Spotify. Radical it's called, acceptance. Yeah, rattle. Yeah, exactly. And so for me, if if I can just tap into that every once in a while, um, not always, but like let's say for me, it's what works is like when I'm going to sleep or if I'm if wake in the night, I'll put it on. And I found, you know, it's really important for me to tap into that every once in a while as a deeper reminder so that on a more of a daily basis, I can just like 
remind myself to just hold my heart. I mean, even when I was talking to you, I was finding myself doing that. Mm-hmm. And that's a little self unconscious behavior on my part. But yeah, sometimes it's just that, um, that reminder. Mm-hmm. I also, um, this doesn't have to do with self-compassion necessarily, but I, another trick in a leadership class I took was, you know, when you're in a meeting and you find yourself getting anxious or heated up, let's say, or this could be in a conversation at home and you're maybe beginning to react, Mm -hmm. like find your feet was the phrase that they gave me. If you're sitting down ground yourself, just find your feet. And it's like, it's that embodiment. It's stepping into your body. And I think putting my hand on my heart, like if my heart starts to race because I'm getting upset or something, mm-hmm. it's like those little practices that bring us back into the present moment. Mm-hmm. And of course, for me, it always, always, always comes back to the breath. So I've had really wonderful yoga instructors who have taught me that your relationship to your breath is the only relationship you will have for your entire life. And think about that. Your relationship to your breath is the only relationship you'll have to your entire life. And so use your breath to calm yourself. Use your breath to center yourself. Come back to your breath. You can use breath work to really enhance all sorts of things, including, you know, your immunity and your overall health, but it's simple as brings you right back it's so true and uh, any tips that you have for our viewers watching us today maybe just that mm-hmm. if you can come back to your breath mm-hmm. and if you can practice radical self-compassion tell yourself you love yourself and mean it that that'll change your life it really can I, I so agree with you, Deb, because, you know, over the years uh, that people have seen in therapy or in training sessions or any kind of workshops, the ones who literally make it a mission in life to first love themselves mm-hmm. and focus on themselves are the ones who overcome all adversities that come their way. And then the journey of life feels beautiful. So mm-hmm. if you had one word to describe Deb, what would you choose? <laughs> oh, that's really hard. Well, I was just in a, um, a leadership retreat uh, with my leadership team, and we had to choose cards. Uh-huh. And the one that I chose as the top of my pile was empathetic. Mm-hmm. So I, I would say that is one of my defining characteristics. Mm-hmm. Um, another was interconnected. But for me, they're kind of um, speak to the same, which is connection. So yeah, I'll, I'll land on connection. Okay, great. Thank you so much, Deb. It's just been wonderful listening to you and chatting with you. And thank you for coming on the show today. Thank you, Pragati. It was such a pleasure. Keep up the great work. Thank you. Bye.